It's uh, again an honor to, uh, to share a word to you guys and to those online as well. Um, I've been kind of fighting with the Lord over the last few weeks about the word that He wants me to share. I have a passion for end times, as you guys know, and every time I'm asked to share the words, I always, my first thing would be, what can I share on end times? But the way the Lord is guiding me this season, I'll be sharing different things about the Lord, about our positioning, the way we need to worship the Lord as well. And um, it gave me an interesting title, you know, which is almost like a movie title. And it's quite interesting. They can ask me the question, is it biblical? You know, because of the title. You know, the word they gave me is called the lead of extraordinary people. I repeat, the lead of extraordinary people. Um, I'm going to be dwelling on that word for, for a little while. So we're going to get through it. I'm going to take my time. And if the Lord allow me today, um, I will... Um, if you can use me to prophesy today, I will definitely do this. So if I stop in the middle, please don't be uh, where it's going on. It's just really just change the way the, where the Lord wants to move through me. Um, I, like I said, I fought with him the last few weeks and asked him, why these words? And he's kind of directing me to, to certain things. I mean, when we look at the there's something sometimes special about extraordinary people. You know, when they enter the room or walking on the streets, you know, they, they stand out. You know, when you look at the world, they stand out. And it's quite interesting because three months ago, I did a very simple experiment on experimentation. I was working in London Bridge and uh, on my way back from a job and I began to look at people, a group of people, and what I've noticed is every time you're looking at a group of people, there seems to be always one or two people that stand out among the crowd. And uh, when I was looking at those people, sometimes it was about the height, maybe they were taller than everybody else, or maybe they were shorter than everybody else, or maybe they had a, a certain whereabout in the way that they walk, you know, the way that they look. And you find out every time you look at a group of people, you will, your eyes will see fixed on a certain type of people. And it's very, very interesting. Sometimes it's just the color of their skin. Sometimes it's just uh, anything. But it's something about extraordinary people which come out of the norm in essence. And even when you look throughout our human history as well, we have seen many people standing out for good some for evil as well, other for just themselves. You know, when you're talking about, when the world, you ask somebody in the world and ask this question about if there is one person that you would say has been done so much good in the world, the first name that people will mention is Mother Teresa. You know, there's a name that's come out people. So, and it's turned out for devoting our life to, to the destitute. So one of the things that people really look into. Gandhi is another one, you know, one of those big men that really was an activist who played a key role in freeing India, you know, without violence. We also got uh, Martin Luther King, you know, I have a dream, you know, everyone pretty much knows this, this, this message as well. And he did stand out in the 60s. Um, 
And then you got the other one. That's an art for violence, conquerors like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, and Hitler as well. They were standing, they wanted to dominate, they wanted to conquer the world in, in nonsense. And um, another guy that I mentioned as well is Abraham Lincoln. You know, the uh, issuing the Emancipation Proclamation in January 1st, 1863, which really spread the end of slavery in a state that kind of spread it all over the world in nonsense. What about the men and the women who fought for peace, freedom, justice, freedom? There's so many people that stand out in nonsense. But for me, there's only one man that stands up above all the men and the women that I mentioned. And the name is Jesus. You know, the name is Jesus. And it took him three years to do it. You know, some people change the world in a lifetime. Jesus changed the world in three years. Three years of ministry. And he completely changed the world in essence. Jesus was the catalyst for the great movement of all time. We're here after 2,000 years ago, people still talking about Jesus, either as a savior, either as a blasphemy, or whatever. Jesus is one of the names that's mentioned in most of the whole world by every single nation. We got to love him. We really got to, to love Jesus. And when we look at how people idolize different ones, you know, you look today, um, people idolize sports, you know, football and, and so on. People idolize professors and theologians and so on. People idolize musicians, artists, actors. They all stand out in the world when you look at the celebrities. You know, this celebrity show, get me out of it, celebrity, whatever it's called. You know. They all idolize them. But like I said, we need to idolize Jesus. It is not enough just to say, I love Jesus. We really need to idolize him. You know, and it's quite interesting. And, and uh, those who know me, and probably everybody here, I love football. I do love football. You know, my wife. I think you hide this for me, you know. If I really love football so much, I would have married. And she's joking, I'm sure. But the truth is, it's a sport that I really love. And it came to the point where at time I was idolizing the sport so much, in a sense. And I really have to get my priority right. Jesus has to be the one to be idolized, in a sense. So I mentioned about this title, the League of extraordinary people, you know, people that stand out in the world. And, and I, it always reminds me also, also how God used ordinary people to become extraordinary people. And that's really what I want to talk us to about over the next few months. In um, 1989, um, I, was, uh, I was a teenager, a young child, uh, where a teenager in Paris, and I used to watch Holocaust, which is uh, one of the equivalent of Wimbledon here. As a young guy, um, I call it Jackie Chan, but it's not, it's not his real name. His name is, is, is Michael Chang, um, American uh, young Chang. He's got 17 years old. And uh, he captivated the whole of France 
And the reason being is because he was the first youngest American or first youngest person to win the Rolling Test at 17 years old. And he was very, he was very small. And he was competing against big guys like uh, John McEnroe, even Lando, those big, big, big players. Big players. And he came in and he basically won it. But the way he won it, he was quite large, the way he was serving and everything. But I, I, he was, you couldn't believe that this young guy is probably that size. Really very young, very tiny, and just went the way all the way from beating all the big guns in sense. And it really reminded me a lot how God used ordinary people to do great things. Somebody asked me this question one day. He said, Does God only use spiritual giants, you know, the, the Billy Graham and the, all those big guys? To do his work on. And I don't believe so. I believe God used anyone here. Anyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. God used everyone. As a matter of fact, I will even go further to say that God loved to use ordinary people, insignificant people, to do great works. Very important. I'll give you some examples. The, when you look at the entire book of Acts, for example, you know, we're talking about Peter, that was a quitter. Let's, let's call it a quitter because he was a quitter. He spent three years with Jesus. He knew Jesus upside down. It's nothing that Jesus was hiding from Peter. He, Peter, Jesus even called Peter, you know, your name is now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So this is how Peter was high in the sight of Jesus. By the time Jesus was arrested, Peter was nowhere to be seen. Not only was nowhere to be seen, he lied three times as Jesus predicted. He ran away. Despite that, Jesus used Peter to spread the beginning, the revival of the church that we know today. If he wasn't for people like Peter in the early church and all the apostles, none of us would be standing here preaching the gospel or speaking to people and so on. But Peter was an ordinary people. He was a fisherman. He started as a fisherman. You know? As a, and he wasn't a very popular fisherman. He was a struggling fisherman as well. Nevertheless, Jesus took him on the road for three years, trained him, and then released him for him to become a fisherman of men. This is incredible when you think about it. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. Is that no wonderful that God uses? He uses people that are untrained. He uses people that are uneducated to do his bidding. And that's what God wants to use you and I. You know, it was quite interestingly, and we gave those testimonies a few weeks ago, and, and this big job that, that we've done in that sense, where we ended up basically running the show from big organizations, big corporations, they know what they're doing, they've been doing this over two, three hundred times. But nevertheless, he chose us. He chose little Jesse over there, which is 16 years old, to run the street. 
a true Julien, a true Marcia, and some of the other guy to be able to run this big event. This is how God uses. This is how God uses to do his bidding. You know, the Bible is full of unqualified people. A lot, a lot of them. You know, we speak about Noah. What was Noah about? They say he was good in his generation. Doesn't mean he was perfect. As a matter of fact, we find out that Noah loved to drink. He loved to drink. So he drank a lot. But still, God used Noah to populate the earth in essence. What about Abraham and Sarah, for example? Another couple. They were old. Nothing left, pretty much. You know, like a retiring people, they retire and they could just retire and just live their whole life without having a child. But God still used this and filled them to the nation of Israel was born. And as a matter of fact, millions in essence. Joseph, that we're going to look into today, was an arrogant, prideful, young teenager. A young teen. Listen, we are teenagers. They're not as arrogant and prideful as John was. But nevertheless, when it comes to the age of 15, 16, 17, they, fall, they, fall, they think they know everything. They do sometimes. And it's a way to see a place in society. But Joseph was young, was arrogant, was naive, and he wasn't very tactile. So we look at it. Another one is Moses. Moses has a speech problem. Still, God used him as well to free the Israelites to become one of the greatest leaders ever known. In a sense. What about Rahab? She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. You know, if you read uh, the book of Joshua chapter 2, but God again used her to help his spies and overtake Jericho. I mean, we all know the story of Jericho. If he wasn't for Rahab, that wouldn't happen. Another one, Jonah, they call him the egg escapist. God speak to him about doing something. He decided that what God said wasn't good, so he ran away. But eventually, God used him. Esther, she was an orphan. An orphan. You know, most of us have a, a start in life with both parents to be able to grow and, and become who we need to become. She didn't have that luxury. She was an orphan. Nevertheless, she became the queen. I spoke about Peter, the quitter. What about Paul? Paul was the enemy of the church. As a matter of fact, his name wasn't Paul, his name was Saul. He was the enemy of the church. And he became one of the most prolific Christian leader of his time. The Bible said that he wrote a third of the New Testament. That just proves you how God can use anyone. You see, when I hear people, and I used to be like that, when I hear people saying that God can use me, I'm disqualified. You know, this word disqualified here, the Lord in churches, I'm disqualified. I can't be used because I'm seen or because I've done something. Or I used to be like that all the time. You know, sometimes before I come and preach, I was a few years ago, my week would be 
so bad. And we end up being angry with people, uh, very short. And nevertheless, I would come on a Saturday evening and say, Lord, you can't send me here on Sunday morning to speak your word because of the state I am at the moment. But it's in my state of weakness that God used me the greatest. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter how disqualified you think you are because this qualification is for our own eyes. We are disqualified because the world tells us that we are disqualified. When you look at this young generation today, some of them have seen a disqualified young generation because the world tells us that they them. It's like, you know, I used to say to, to Mars, why a model is defined by what will define beauty. What is beauty? What is beauty? It is someone which is tall, skinned. Back in the days, you need to have blue eyes, you need to be blonde, and you need to be skinny. Now, that is the way the world defines beauty. And because the world defines beauty this way, so everybody defines beauty as it is. But God defines beauty very differently. You can be tall, you can be short, you can be overweight, you can be skinny. God defines beauty very differently. And that's the same thing. Disqualification is a man-made word. God sees disqualification very differently. You may be disqualified among your peers, among the world, but you're not disqualified in God's eyes, especially if you have given your life to Him. And that is important. See, I'm talking about extraordinary people. Those men and women that I mentioned, they were ordinary, but what God did, He added that extra thing. You know, when you're cooking your food, that extra spice, that extra salt that makes the food taste. The Bible calls us we are the salt of the earth. He needs us to be that extra in that sense. So God uses us in his purpose. And God has a very special purpose for us. Very purpose. And we are this earth to fulfill it. We are this earth to fulfill this purpose in that sense. I love the story of Joseph, who is one of the extraordinary persons I want to talk about this morning. Because of his brother, Atrit, Joseph was exiled uh, into Egypt as a slave. And because of the lie of his master's wife, he was put into prison as well. And because of the people that forget him in prison, he stayed there for longer than he should have, in essence. But because of God's grace, Joseph became the prime minister of the known world at the time, which was Egypt. Joseph was had, a, had an interesting gift. He was able to interpret dreams. And throughout his life, Joseph was a the Bible said at the age of 17, um, finding the book of Genesis chapter 37 to 2, he had a couple of dreams. And the dreams that he had were surely to be above his brother and above his dad as well. And 
You know, a, a clever guy who kind of be living with his brother for quite an amount of years, kind of understand how the brother operates. Maybe you will try to be a little bit quieter, you know, level the way you're going to bring about this, this message to your brother. But because he was arrogant, because he was prideful, he came to his brother and just explained them the dream in a way, in a nutshell, he said to them, I had a very, very nice dream. This dream was one of the best dreams ever. Do you know what was in this dream? I'm going to rule you guys. Now, can you imagine Reuben, Judas, all his brothers looking at him and thinking, excuse me? No. He was very proud. Then, on the top of it, his dad loved him, obviously, and in that culture, the Jewish culture, they are favorites. And Joseph was kind of favorite in that sense. So he made a very nice coat, long coat, you know, one of those coats from Reese, or, you know, very nice, was full of colors, and that was the, that was one of the, the fashion at the time. Um, pretty much kind of simple coat, you know, like my simple brown coat, long, but he had colors everywhere. You know? And I can imagine Joseph putting on his coat, very proud, looking at the coat, and just walking up a nice walk in front of his brothers and showing off. And that was Joseph's attitude. And he came to the point that his showing off, his arrogance, his prideful, became so strong that his brother decided to get rid of him. As a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. It was if it wasn't for Reuben who decided to ditch him in the pitch, Joseph would be dead by now. So, Joseph, after having this wonderful dream, was ditched by his brother, was sold as a slave, and ended up into the house of his master. Again, God's grace was upon him. And being in his house, he's beginning to rise up for the rank as well. It was, you've got to imagine, he was also quite a handsome guy, 17, 18, 19, rise up for the rank as well, and becoming almost like the confinement of his master. Until the master's wife, look at that piece, he mm-hmm. looks nice. Joseph looks very nice. He must be, I can imagine Joseph, you know, 89, so quite strong, you know, nice looking, very chiseled and so on. And she's looking at him and she's thinking, there's not even here so I can't speak. You know, she's looking and she's thinking, hmm, I want some of this. And that's exactly what she wanted. She wanted some of this. And um, she came a few times, you know, I'm just, uh, I coasted it. Only God knows exactly how she did, whether she had anything on or else she got something quite revealing. But again, despite the arrogance and the, the pride of Joseph, this one thing that he was, he was righteous. He was righteous. And because he was righteous, he was able to find that contention. Now, men, here, let me ask you this question. How good can we be if we're somewhere in the work and some woman come towards us, decided that she wanted a piece of us? If this is not easy for you, let's be honest. You know, we love wife dearly and we thank God for our wives. But when you got some uh, women just coming in, or some l- ladies coming in with whatever she's got, what she hasn't got, these days, you know, they, 
they, they don't wear anything anyway. So just coming in and swooping it and giving it all the eyes and the looks, the attitude, whatever. How are you going to it? How long are you going to take to actually run away? Because the Bible said we need to flee from contention. And that Joseph, that's exactly what he did. He fled. He fled. Absolutely. He fled. He has to. Because the woman was fine. She was very fine. But Joseph, he was gone. And the interesting thing that I've read this, to help him to free that temptation, he has to say this. Joseph said, God sent me before you to preserve for your remnant on earth and to keep. God, Joseph was speaking to himself, saying, I've got to get out of it. So what he was doing, he was basically quoting everything that was good about God in order for him to have the strength to flee. And I'm saying that to you, son. When temptation comes along, the only way to get out of that temptation is to begin to call on the name of Jesus. We have to call on the name of Jesus. Let's not pretend that we are strong enough to flee the temptation because the moment we are believing that we are strong enough to flee that temptation, this is when we fall. We have to call on the name of Jesus. And Joseph called on the name of his God and he fled. And the rest of the story we know. He was arrested because she now accused him of rape. So the righteous became unrighteous in the sight of the world. So he was put to prison for many years. And during this time in prison, God again used him to a such a point, the favor of God was such upon him that he also rise up from the rank. By the time the butler and the other guy came and were put into prison by Pharaoh, those two guys had a dream that Joseph was able to interpret. And when he came out, those dreams were fulfilled. Nevertheless, Joseph was still in prison for another two years until Pharaoh himself had a dream. When he had a dream and he couldn't find anyone to interpret the dream, they called upon Joseph. They took him out of prison. Not only was he able to interpret the dream, but he was also able to find a solution to the current problem, which resulted in Joseph being elevated from his prison status to prime minister, to rule of the old Egypt. Only Pharaoh was higher than him. Only Pharaoh was higher than him. He was able to rule it. He was able to implement a system that would allow them to sustain the famine that was coming in some place. And we're talking about a young guy that was disqualified. We're talking about a young guy that was nearly dead. We're talking about a young guy that was slave. A God turning from a slave to a prime minister. This is what God is capable of doing. God used the foolish thing of his world to confront the wise. God used people like you and I who see insignificant to the world to reveal his glory to the world. And that's what God wants to do with us. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to use us. And I'm saying today, 
He wants to use us. Do not think the work that you hear, the position that you hear is your final destination. This is your journey. Joseph had a very interesting journey. He went from being the favorite of his dad to the least in prison to become the best as a prime minister. And through that journey, he went through a moment of pruning, a moment of character changing, character building. So sometimes the things that's not taking place today, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Time and Chanel, you need to continue to pray and to trust him. There is a reason. There is a reason why things taking longer than you want. There's a reason. You know, I was thinking to Mars yesterday about it, and I said one of the things I realized about God is timing. Our timing and God's timing is very, very different. We see something and we want it. We are willing to wait, but our waiting and God's waiting are completely two different things. Two different things. Moses was told that he would free the Israeli. He took matter into his own hand and he asked for another 50 years before that before. The children of Israel were meant to enter this land. When they left Egypt, it was a journey that should be taking them a month to get into that promised land. It took them 40 years to get in. Joseph had a dream from the age of 17. It took him about 13 years before that dream was completely fulfilled. By the time he became prime minister, he was 30 years old. And he went through the journey. So you may think that, why is it taking so long? Why is it happening? I have done anything wrong. I hear that all the time. People begin to blame themselves. People begin to wonder, is it my fault? What have I done wrong? It's God timing. It's God timing. You know, we've got to wait for God's timing. You know, we heard a, a great testimony of Ozzy a couple of weeks ago. You know, the journey that he went in, his job journey, he went in, him and Nena. And now, their time has come. Their time has come. I'm telling you, your time will come too. Peter, your time will come. That dream of yours, your time will come. Itoro, your time is coming. You're started already. Still a long journey, but while you're doing your starting, I'd be interested to see in about three, four years. I can, I can see where you will be in three, four years. But I'd be interested for you to see where you will be in three, four years. That position that you have at the moment, it's going to be very different in three, four years. Be very different. Very, very different. You'd be amazed. For some of us, we are going to experience a completely shift of position. The things that we were doing today, the things that we're doing today, in about three, four years, you will have a different job, a different thing, completely. God is moving us. He's really, really moving us. But we've got to be willing to recognize the move of God and to be willing to accept that the things that we're doing today may not be the things that we'll be doing tomorrow. That is very difficult. When you have studies for 
10 years, 7, 6 years for a job, you're in a position and you're looking to move up the ladder. And God tells you, no, I want you to do something different now. And you need to trust Him. I am speaking to somebody today. God's going to change your work position. You may think this is where you need to go. But God has another plan for you. A great plan for you. Believe me. This is just the beginning. Peter, I've seen I see this place. I see this place. And I don't even know whether this place is here or somewhere else. But I see this place. It's almost like it's, it's like a garage, but it's not a garage. I see people coming in and out. And as they come out, I see smile radiance in their faces. I don't know what your plan is. I think I know, but I don't want to say because I think this is something between you and God. I think that's been a plan of yours. You actually spoke to your brother about it. I think over is it 50, 20 years ago. You had a dream. You had a vision and you spoke to your brother about it. Things about 50, 20 years ago. It's a place. I don't know what it is. Yeah, the Lord is telling me to tell you not to forget. Not to forget. One of the things that I'm sensing to say to some of us here, and including myself, is when God's giving us a word and the worst doesn't come. Now, if some of us the word hasn't come for 10, 15, 20 years, it doesn't mean it's not going to come. It just means God is aligning everything in place for the world, for that particular things that we ask to come. Nikki, hmm. you are going to travel the world. You know, one of those, uh, I see crusades, I see big crusades, and I see you laying your hand on people, literally laying your hand on people, and I see people recover. You know, one of those little things, not one of those little things you do on Sunday morning when you pray, I saw somebody with this, and then you pray for them, and you say, yeah, I'm still feeling a little bit, not quite like, no, it's not like that. You literally lay your hand on people, and just like that, they recover. I see that. I see that. Man, I saw a lot, a lot, a lot of young people around you. It's like uh, young children. And I don't know, what it is exactly, and I don't want to speak ahead of what God said, so I'm not going to say. But I see a lot, a lot of young children around you, and they follow you. Wherever you go, they just follow you. Whatever you do, they just follow you. See, my wife, the great orator, the great orator. Listen, I know I gave you a few words, but this morning I felt a very strong impression to give you this word. 
you are going to shock many, many, many people. Many people. God is using it now, but what he's doing at the moment is stripping everything that needs to be stripped off. Because where it's going to take you, you need a certain caliber to operate. Because the people that you're going to be operating wrong, they are PhD people, professor from whatever. And God is going to use you. He's going to use you. And you're going to speak. I see speaking in values, but not only speaking, I see literally you just moving in the area of health, but not a ministry of health. Literally, those areas of doctors. You know, I do sometimes, I do some events in um, the school of physicians. Now, those guys, they got PhD. They, they, when I say they're smart, they are super smart. And this is one of my son, I tend to go quite often. And they, sometimes they talk, and I have no idea what they're talking about. You know those abbreviations that they're using, and it doesn't make any sense to me. I saw you speaking among those people. And those people just marvel. When you open your mouth, they just marvel at what you say. So what I want to say to you, trust what God is doing in you. It's a difficult time at the moment. I know. But there's a reason. It has to strip everything. Because where it's taking you, you have to show his glory. His glory. His glory. It's not about internet. It's about his glory. And you want you to go out there knowing that you are going to express his glory. Not using your internet or your knowledge. But your glory. Your glory. And it will marvel it. Pastor Mecca. I see. You, you, you got Pastor Hart. I mean, everybody. You don't have to you know, everybody can see it. But I think that what God is preparing you now, I see this community in Medway. I see you training young men to become pastors. I see this church eventually begin to branch out with other churches. But I see you beginning to train Pastors, young pastors. I see this church growing. I mean, we, we heard that before. And we're thinking, what? There's only 10 people, 5 people. Listen, don't worry about the amount of people that are coming or not coming. Believe me, we don't have to be concerned about it. This is not a competition. This is not about how many people we bring into the church. This is about what God is doing right now in us. And there's a reason for it. What is a small number of people? But as the church begins to grow slowly, the church will begin to branch out. Yes, Pastor Mika is here, but he's got a crusade. He's going to be traveling. And this is why, you know, Pastor John is quite interested in the way the whole dynamic has changed. But it's God positioning. Positioning you where you need to be and positioning Nikki to have now the freedom to begin to be the evangelist the healing ministry and evangelist that God has chosen to be. And he may, I don't know when it's going to happen, so I'm not, I'm not going to say it's going to be one or two years. I have no idea. But what I see is that this church will begin to grow. And as you grow, your passion to train 
young people to become pastors so they can now begin to branch out. And that church may see we may have 20, 50 people. But the branch, the branch will have more. The branch will have more. Because of what you will pour out into those young ones to be able to create other churches. This is an eclipse, but the branches are more. When we look at the church in the book of Acts, how many were there? Twelve. They start with twelve men. And from those twelve people, they branch out. And the Bible says, even Peter on his own alone, one day, three thousand. Three thousand people on his own alone. That's a church. That's a church in itself. And this is what God is going to do with people here. So let not be thinking, oh, there's not enough people. We don't need enough people. The people that will come, you will train them and they will plant and they will branch out. That's all I see. Do I have five more minutes? Am I allowed five more minutes? Just five more. Father, open our hearts this morning. Truly open our hearts this morning to hear your word and truly show us where we need to be in this season. Lord, you made ordinary people to become extraordinary people. We ask you this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, Show us, show us the things that you want us to see. I pray, Father, for a visitation, a visitation, Lord. Come and visit us in the name of Jesus. The Lord asked me to ask you, Olivier, to be honest with him and to ask him truly what you want. It's a very simple. So it's between you and him in your time of prayer. But he wants you to come to him and be honest and ask him truly what you want or what other people want you to have or so on. What you really want. That's that's all of what you really want. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning, for just allowing me to use me to speak through me. And Lord, I just continue to commit every word that you have released into us today. We pray and commit those words into your hand that it shall come to pass. As your word said, wait for Wait for it. It shall surely come to pass. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We love you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.